Hello, my friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I am your host, Christina Halverson. And each episode, I bring someone in from the content strategy industry who's doing amazing work right now. And this week, I asked Ms. Abby Covert, who's the Senior Information Architect at Etsy. She's also known as Abby the IA to join me to talk about her book, How to Make Sense of Any Mess, and all sorts of additional interesting topics because she's amazing. But before we start the interview, I have two very special things to share with you. And actually, both of them are, I need your help. Now, the first one, I am doing an experiment that I would love for you to be a part of. I am going to do a listener Q&A episode. And here's how you can participate. If you have a burning question about content strategy or something related to content strategy, I would like to ask you to call in and leave a message on our very fancy Google Voice mailbox. I'll give you the number real quick now, but you can also find it on the show notes for this week's episode at contentstrategy.com forward slash podcast. The number is 510-858-6927. If you are driving in your car, do not punch that into your phone right now. It is illegal in the state of Minnesota and probably in your state too. Just saying, be responsible. Don't text and drive. Hey, this is an experiment again. I'm really excited about it. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So please, for your chance to be on the Content Strategy Podcast, shoot me a voicemail. Here's the second thing that I need your help with. For the first time ever, I'm going to be doing a Content Strategy Podcast survey. That's right. I am interested in you and in what you want to hear what you like about the podcast, what you wish were different about the podcast, how you would like to see the podcast reach new heights of amazingness specifically just for you. So if you could visit contentstrategy.com forward slash survey and give us about four to five minutes of your time, it's not a very long survey, to answer a few questions, I would be forever in your debt. So please help us out contentstrategy.com forward slash survey. Thank you so much for indulging me. And now here's Abby. Friends and neighbors, welcome back. It's Christina. And with me today, once again, for a repeat performance is Abby Covert. And Abby is the senior staff information architect at Etsy and the author of How to Make Sense of Any Mess, a book about information architecture. For everybody. She, I'm going to also read again. I did this last time. I was like, this is a longer bio, but I want to read it because it's so amazing. She also holds credit for the invention of World IA Day, which is a global celebration of IA taking place in more than 50 locations around the world every February. Uh, She speaks and writes under the pseudonym Abby the IA, focusing on sharing information architecture content with those working within the design and technology communities. Except, isn't a pseudonym like something that you use so that people don't know who you are? Well, you know, I wouldn't, I would say that at a lot of conferences, people do not know what my last name is. And I, I don't, I don't hate that. That's kind of awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Although my husband did get referred to as James the IA. Um, <laughs> and somebody did suggest that I register baby the IA and I haven't done that yet. So, so or yeah. You, or the IA dot baby. Yeah. It's not a full family commitment is what yeah, I'm saying. That's, I understand. Um, as a side note, we've recently started talking about just registering a bunch of different words with .baby. Oh, yeah, for sure. Content strategy.baby being the top one. 
Oh my God. Contentstrategy.baby. Yes. Baby. Everything.baby. And then, and then, uh, have you watched Big Mouth? Cause there's a character on there that's like a million years old and he's always like, yeah, baby. <laughs> no. <laughs> there would just be a big gif of that guy. Amazing. Yeah, baby. Amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed by my impression there. Okay. If our listeners have not already stopped listening to the podcast, Abby, what have you been up to lately? Well, let's see. Since we last spoke, I birthed a human um, and I spent five months keeping that human alive and thinking very little about information architecture aside from like, you know, figuring out the right schedule for feeding and diapering said child. So yeah, that's, that's the primary thing. Um, I'm about two weeks back. (laughs) I did. Yeah. In the first two weeks, yeah, I I would say the first two weeks after we got back from the hospital was, um, in between naps, me like cleaning out closets and labeling everything, um, while the baby was sleeping. And it was just like, I don't know. I went through like a a mad rush of information architecture nesting. It it was pretty intense. Wow. That is not, that is not what I was doing for the first two weeks. I, I, I definitely though, there were spreadsheets. Like I was, there were spreadsheets like for when they were fed and when they pooped and you know, there has to be spreadsheets. There always is spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's amazing. And so, but you're, you're back to, to a different kind of work. You're back to IA. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back to IA. So I'm, um, this is my third week back at Etsy uh, from parental leave. Um, Parental leave, by the way, is amazing. More companies should have parental leave. If any of your listeners are in charge of such things for designers or the design community, please make that a priority because it's amazing. Um, So yeah, I'm about three weeks back and just getting my, getting my feet wet again and trying to figure out like what I'm going to, what I'm going to do in this new world where I am both an information architect and a mom. I, when you figure that out, please let the rest of us know. I totally will. Yeah. My, I, I've had children for 14 years and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing as a content strategist as a mom and a mom. <laughs> it's something. So what, so as you, as you uh, hit the ground running again, coming back to work, like what are you excited about right now? What, what's, uh, what's got your brain moving? I think the most exciting thing uh, for me is seeing how much the organization actually has changed. So when you leave for a period of time, like, five months, which I did, uh, you get to kind of come back and have this reflection of like how much has changed. But it, it ultimately made me reflect in like a longer time scale than I expected. I ended up coming back and really spending time looking at what's happened in the three years since I started working with Etsy. And that was like a really interesting kind of exploration just because you get so close to the work that when you come back to it after some, some breathing room, you can kind of look at it fresh. Um, so I think that we're, we're really tackling some very interesting challenges right now. Um, I mean, the main thing is kind of like balancing between the need for structured data and the need for like human intuition that can't be derived from things that we're going to ask people to enter into a database. Um, so that's, that's kind of the nut that we're looking to crack um, in the sh- short and the long term. And I guess that's, that's the thing that has me the most excited right now to go to work. So... One thing that I, I know about you is that you, when you came to work at Etsy a couple of years ago, they they got in touch with you initially because of this book that you had written called How to Make Sense of Any Mess. And we last time we talked, we were so excited to talk about the things you were talking about that we didn't even get to talk about your book. And I had I said to you at that time, we've got to have you back on the show to talk about how, in fact, to make sense of any mess. And I want to just know all the things about this. So tell, first of all, tell us what the book is about. 
Sure. So how to make sense of any mess is a beginner's guide to information architecture. And I really mean beginner um, very strongly. So it is purposely written at a sixth grade reading level. It is um, divorced of any kind of attachment to a medium or a channel that you might be working with information on. Um, and it really is meant to be a very layman's guide to the concepts and the underpinnings of information architecture. Um, I also spent a, a lot of time thinking about kind of the flow of the book as uh, sort of a workbook. So as you're going through it, um, there's different exercises and diagram types um, and kind of thought-provoking questions along the way to help you to make sense of whatever mess uh, you're currently grappling with. Um, and I've heard from my readers, those messes can be, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of redesigning our corporate intranet system. Um, could be, you know, one kind of mess. Another mess might be like, I have to figure out how I'm going to um, align my classroom for after summer break to a whole new set of teaching uh, methodologies, which I had a reader reach out to me about um, a couple months ago, which, which was interesting. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of like looking at messes as a very human condition, and then looking at information architecture as the set of skills that we all have the ability to hone. Um, we just need kind of that um, that training and that assistance to understand that it's even something that is a skill for us to work on. That's and tell me when did the where did the idea come to you? Like was there was there a certain series of events that occurred where you were just like, oh, man, people need this book? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say um, my journey into teaching really was the impetus for it. So um, just a little bit of context: the the book is about to have its five year anniversary, which is pretty oh, congratulations. Cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of like mind blown that five years has passed. I was just so that's exactly what I was. Um, because I mean, people still will say like, "Oh, Abby's new book," and I'm just like, "Yo." <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going on five years here, people, but I'll take it, you know. As yeah. A, as oh, a, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, yes, it's new. Um, but yeah, if I look back, uh, you know, five years to when it was published, and then I reverse another 18 months to when I had started to teach information architecture um, at both Parsons um, and General Assembly at the time, and then later at the School of Visual Arts, the thing that I kept running into was that I saw this tremendous need to teach information architecture to graphic design students and design students who are coming from um, outside of the UX space, but there wasn't a lot of materials out there that I could send them to that weren't just very much tied to certain mediums and channels, mostly websites. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to point them at an information architecture book, it would most likely be information architecture for the World Wide Web at mm -hmm. that point. Um, now it's called Information Architecture for the Web and Beyond, but still very focused on web information architecture. And what I really wanted to do was have a class um, at Parsons is where it started that was about information architecture thinking. And it wasn't about execution at a certain um, medium or in a certain set of patterns that you might have on, say, a website. So the book really was something that I started as a journey to write my kids a textbook basically for my class um, and the first version of the book is actually called make sense and it is a textbook um, i wrote it week by week while i was teaching at parsons um, the very first time and i basically just set up the expectation with my students that i wanted to do this i struggled with writing my curriculum and i didn't have the materials i wanted for it so i was going to make them as we went and so i did and through that semester um, i wrote i think it was probably around 25,000 words. Um, 
Yeah. And, and that was the first version. And, and that first version is absolutely nothing like the book. Like it is, it is so far removed from the book. It's kind of hilarious. Like there's, there's a very long rant about the meaning of cocktail straws. Um, there's just, it, it's very academic. It's not at all where the book ended up, but it got me what I needed to, in terms of starting to think about how would I break down these concepts and how might I actually teach this outside of the context of web information architecture. So once that happened and I was done with that semester, I started to think like, this is actually a project I want to bring forward. I want to make a book. I think there's white space for this book. So I started to think about, you know, how might I actually do that? And I was given a space uh, by Alan Chichinoff at the School of Visual Arts at the program that I had recently accepted a, a teaching position in for IA. And so he gave me an office space for the summer and he was basically like, yeah, just write. Um, and I did. And it was it was amazing. I sat across from a 3D printer for like an entire summer at this like very empty loft in the middle of the School of Visual Arts. And I just emptied my brain entirely of all my thoughts on IA. And I started to really see that the way that I think and the way that I like to consume content is in very short form. Um, I'm very much like a deck writer. Um, I'm not really much of an essayist. So I started to think about like, what would the book look like if it was just a set of note cards, um, kind of like a slide deck. Um, and I started to look at it from that perspective. Um, so then the second version of the book was a set of, I think there was about a hundred uh, four by six note cards. And each note card had an individual headline and a bit about that headline. And it was just an, an individual concept. And I thought at the time that I was going to use that to card sort into the kind of outline of how I would then write the book. But as I started to kind of open up my process and show people what I was doing, those note cards became this like object that everybody just wanted. They were just like, no, just give me the note cards. Just give me the hundred note cards with the headline and the little blurb. That's what I want. And about that time, I was introduced to this book called A Hundred Things That I Learned in Architecture School. Um, and that was essentially what that book was. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I basically wanted to write that book, but for information architecture. Um, and it was about that time that I started teaching in the School of Visual Arts and my students were being asked to write their thesis compendium books. So every week I was having them, you know, reimagine your thesis as an elevator pitch, reimagine your thesis as a lesson for an elementary school classroom, reimagine your thesis as and all these things. So I just started doing it along with them. Um, and over the course of that semester, I really got to the place where I identified that I wanted to talk about messes. Um, not so much about information architecture and taxonomy and um, ontology and these like big concepts, but that I wanted to turn them into smaller concepts that were more layman, that more people could adopt and think about. Um, and yeah, it just kind of flew from there. I mean, once the idea of a mess happened, um, that, that was really when it, it set into its current uh, form. And um, that's about the time that I started working with Nicole Fenton, who's uh, my, my editor, who is amazing. Yeah, and we went through, I think, two different revisions um, before we sent it to readers. Um, and then we went through another revision before it actually was published. So talk to me about some of the, some of the sort of the core tenets of the book, the core principles. How do you, how do you invite people into the conversation? Um, what, what guidelines are you giving them? How, how are you carrying them through the process of making sense of their messes? So I, I really challenged myself to think about it like a process because it feels like information architecture and sense making in general is just so in your head that it really doesn't feel like something that you could make like a step-by-step -step process. 
um, because it feels like it's too cognitive. It's too heavy. It's too about like swirling in your brain and thinking things through. But I really challenged myself to like, no, if I was going to get silly about it and like make a process out of it, what would the steps of that process actually be? And I came up with seven steps. And basically the book is structured into those seven steps. Um, each one of those steps has um, kind of the, the underpinnings of thought relating to information architecture for that, that step, some exercises and thought starters around that step, and then a story of an actual person who's kind of at that stage of their, their journey in, in figuring out their mess. Um, so the, the seven are identify your mess, um, which is really about just like admitting where you're at and like showing a picture of the problem state. Like sometimes I think that that's the thing that actually unlocks people is just having a picture of the thing that they're working on outside of their brain. Um, so I talk to my students a lot about how when we keep things in our brain, they get bigger and they get scarier and they get more complex than they need to be. And when we put them down on paper, we can actually kind of confront them. Um, so identifying the mess is, is um, the, first, the first step. Um, sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous, like admitting your problem is the first step. It's oh, very yeah. similar in terms oh, yeah. of information. No, argument. that's oftentimes that's the out. first couple of hours of a content strategy workshop. Is exactly. Like, oh, yeah. So I'll put it all out there. Exactly. And that's actually, I think Scott Kuby here at Brain Traffic has done a great series on their blog around mapping content ecosystems, which is exactly that. It's just, mm -hmm. what are we looking at? What do we have here? Let's get it out into the world and take a close look. Yeah. Yeah. Or like if you look at um, the, the new book, Everyday Information Architecture, which by the way, like listeners, please go buy this book. Um, I second know, that. The whole idea about content auditing, like a lot of that has to do with identifying your mess. Um, you know, that's, that really is the first stage and it's, it can be the part that people never get through. When they realize what they'd have to do to actually go through and identify the mess, a lot of people turn back. A lot of people go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's bigger than I want to get into. Um, but some people, and often people in our industry, it's their job and they can't turn back. <laughs> this is just what we're doing now. So identify the mess. Um, and then once you've identified it, the next uh, step is to state your intent. Like think about all the different directions that you could go. And I really invite the readers to really think deeply about the fact that that is a choice, that like your intention is something that you set. And the directional options that you have really do vary based on that decision. So if I decide I want to make this website uh, be better for conversion, that's not the same thing as better for engagement. You know, there's just differences in terms of the intention that I'm going to set for myself. Um, and then once we've set our intention, third step, facing the reality, right? Because once we've set our intention, that doesn't mean that we can actually achieve it in the time or um, the process time that was given to us or the budget that was given to us, or the staff that was given to us or whatever. So we have to kind of retrofit what we can actually do in the reality of our situation. So it's almost like you identify the mess, you kind of get cool with yourself about the fact that you're going to make change. Then you kind of dream this world where your intention can be made clear, but then you have to reel it back to face that reality. And I think that that's actually a really important stage because it keeps it grounded to what actually happens in projects as opposed to like, you know, this kind of aspirational process where everything goes really well. Well, and you know, I think what I have found is that when I introduce the word constraints, real world constraints, which is exactly what you're talking about, people almost breathe a sigh of relief. Like, yes. Yeah, exactly. Exist. Can you talk to leadership about those, please? Right. Can you please write some tight bullets of the things we don't have right, right. now? Right. <laughs> because that would be really useful. Um, so that's what Face Your Reality is really about. It's just like a, a come to terms moment of like, look, we know what the mess is. We know what our intention is. But that doesn't mean that we can do exactly what we think we want to do. We have to take reality into account. 
And then the next part is around choosing a direction. So even when you're, you know, set on a, a path, there's still a lot of different ways to go down that path. Um, there's different speeds, there's different methodologies, um, there's just different ways that, that you can go. So choosing that direction ultimately allows you to really like commit. And it's like, okay, we're executing now. We're no longer hemming and hawing about what things are. We're choosing a direction, we're committing, and we're moving forward. Um, and then once we've committed to a direction, we have to measure the distance. We have to figure out like how far are we actually away from that thing right now? And how are we going to know when we get there? Um, and really building in that piece about measurement, which I find way too many people do not talk about kind of like in lockstep with design. And then playing with structure, right? Like the idea that once you've actually decided where you're going, there's still a, a multitude of options of the way that you might structure that thing that you're making, right? That website might be organized by product. That website might be organized by audience. It might be organized by time. It might be organized by what's new versus what's old. Um, we could do all these things. And then lastly, prepare to adjust. Um, and the prepare to adjust has definitely been called out by my readers as sort of like my my love note of bravery to them um, because I think that like this is hard work like sense making is hard work it's it's getting inside of people's hearts and minds and and really understanding like what are we doing together um, and making decisions and that's not easy work um, yeah so that's in a nutshell that's that's kind of the breeze over of the book so tell me about some of the stories that you have heard, like this, the piece about moving from, you know, year-long class into summer and different kinds of curriculum. Tell me some other cool stories that you've heard from readers. Well, I can tell you that almost all of the stories in the book are actually based on, on people. So um, I've had the benefit of before the book was in existence, um, my way of thinking about information architecture is something that I've, I've talked to people about for years. Um, and I've had friends that have approached me with problems that they've had, whether that's like making their wedding fit into the budget that they were hoping <laughs> that they would stick to versus the aspirations that they have. Um, I've led people through information architecture challenges around that or figuring out the mission of a nonprofit. Um, one of the, the most exciting ones for me was um, a friend of mine has a retail store in New York City. Um, and she's just really the last decade has really just hit her hard. She's been in business there for 30 years. Um, she has a very like white space position in the market, like nobody else does what she does, but where she was at with her retail business was really, really struggling. Um, and one of the stories in the book is, is actually based on her and sort of this moment that we had at her house in Tucson, Arizona, where she basically just like unleashed on me, Hey, messes, I think I have them. <laughs> you should help me solve them. Um, and you know, we just talked through them and did some exercises and she was able to really get some clarity. So. I would say that it doesn't take a designer to do any of the things that are outlined in this book, which is something that I'm probably the most proud of. Do you find that uh, your audience, that, that people are recognizing when they're browsing for books about like, help me with my life? You know, I'm sure that like, you see Marie Kondo everywhere and you're just like, uh, <laughs> you're, you're up in my grill, Marie Kondo. You know, like, do you find though that readers recognize that they need what you have offered outside of the web? I mean, are they, are they attracted to the book because of the title? Are you, have you done any specific marketing around that? Like, how are you getting your book into their hands? I will be totally honest with you. It has been a completely grassroots effort. Um, I have done very little in the ways of marketing, uh, which I think, you know, honestly, I, it speaks to what my readers are getting out of the book. I have heard from people that my book has sold itself um, in places like airports. Um, people will walk up to people reading this book and say, 
what is that book about? I need that book. <laughs> they don't even know what it's about. And just based on like, everyone has a mess and everyone wants to make sense of that mess. Like that concept just, I think makes a lot of sense to people. Um, see what I did there? I um, do. Yeah. So it just, I, I don't know. It's kind of been this thing that is, it's unbelievable. It makes me so happy. And then to see it, like it got picked up in Japanese. Um, I worked with uh, Bibiana Nunez to translate it into Spanish recently. Um, so yeah, it's just like people really gravitate towards the concept. So I haven't had to do too much pushing. Um, I am starting to think about that for the five-year anniversary though. Just like, are there audiences out there that would really benefit from it that I just haven't been able to get to? You know, and Oprah hasn't called yet, so I know I haven't hit the top of the pops. Exactly. You know, this is ridiculous, but I'm, I literally, in speaking with you, am suddenly realizing that the 10-year anniversary of Content Strategy for the Web is right now. Oh my God. Congratulations. I, thank you. I, how, I don't, I don't even, I don't have any words. It's because I spent so much time going, oh, I'm sorry that the last edition was seven years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, how about that? Maybe we should do something about that at Bring Traffic. Ta-da! Aww. <laughs> yeah, we're both celebrating each other. Very exciting. Yeah. Are you going to write another book? I am, yeah. I'm working on it now. Because you have a baby. Yeah, because I have a baby and I'm doing this thing called sleep training, which usually has me up at like ungodly hours oh of the morning. And, and yeah, I have like all this, just these swaths of unallocated hours that I have to write books. Oh, um. Yeah, no, I really am writing it like in like hour and half an hour <laughs> increments while he's like that's really sleeping or screaming, which, you know. Yeah, you know. well, that's really admirable though, because most writers that I know, including me, we have to sit there and screw around for three hours before we can be productive. So that's pretty amazing that you can just sit down and start hammering out words. It's not always good. It's not okay. always good. I got, I got 300 words today and I, I think there was like one good sentence that seriously, I think I worked for like the whole week for one oh, really good sentence. I know. I know. The sentences but it's are the worst. really stuff. good. Like, easy. The sentences are hard. The rants are easy. Exactly. Yeah. My rant on cocktail straws, that came out really good. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that thing. I should really like dig that gem out at some point. You should. I would read that in two seconds. Mm -mm. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you into right now? Are you reading any good books? Are you um, following any, any certain sort of trends in the industry? What, what else are you into now? Well, I mean, I think, well, on the side note of things that I'm into that I think are information architecture adjacent, but maybe not enough IAs know about or UX-minded people. Um, I've gotten really into bullet journaling recently. Are you aware of this trend? I, this do you know what? I, Scott Kuby has done some bullet journaling in his time. I have to confirm that. That may yeah. be edited out, but I'm pretty sure that he has. Oh, man. I, I feel like I know Scott Kuby. And I, if he's not currently bullet journaling, will you tell him to? Because this he would, my point. He would love it. Maybe I'm just yeah. assuming that he's doing yeah. it. Yeah. No, he, I think, yeah. yeah. Scott, if you're listening, you now bullet journal. <laughs> this is what you do now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I've been, I don't know, I've been like kind of, that was part of my maternity leave was like, was like finding things to fall down rabbit holes on that were not internet related trends or like industry things or reading academic literature. I really tried to avoid all that stuff. And I, I got really into um, high intensity interval training and bullet journaling. Those were like the two things that I, I like adopted in my life since those we are two, Those are two things that, that very high performing people such as yourself often get into. And the yeah. rest of us are just like, oh, 
you're just making me tired. I'm <laughs> tired. I know I should do that, but I just want to go watch the new Veronica Mars series. Oh my God, me too. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. No, I've started rewatching it from the beginning so I can. I have to do that. I have to do that for sure. That's good. Well, great. Well, I really appreciate you with all of the stuff that you have going on, hopping back on to uh, chat with me about the topics that we did not talk about last time. Um, Obviously, I think that uh, my listeners have probably already purchased this book either previously or now by the end of this podcast, Um, but we'll include links in the the resources section on contentstrategy.com. What else? Anything else before I let you go? Make the world a clearer place, kids. It's getting real messy out there. And I I, I took a couple of months off there, but man, the web didn't get better. I would say it probably got worse. So yeah, we got some work to do. But but that's what keeps us employed. Yeah. Out of bed every day. That's why y'all get paid the big bucks. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) Abby, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at abbytheia.com or on Twitter, abbytheia. Um, and if you want to see real cute baby pictures, you can always look me up on Instagram. Or coming soon, theia.baby. <laughs> theia.baby. All right. Thanks a lot, Abby. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is produced by Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy and makers of fine conferences and workshops. Please visit braintraffic.com for more details and sign up for our mailing list to hear about new workshops, dates, and locations, as well as content strategy insights and little personal notes from me with hilarious jokes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. Our podcast is produced by Podcast Press, transcription services by Rev.com and Heather Hagel. Show administration by Bailey Miller and Amy Pletch. Show art and music by Sean Tobridi. You can find even more episodes, including transcripts and links to resources mentioned in the episodes at contentstrategy.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.